Well, how about that? Hey, everybody, it is Christmas Eve. Eight hours down, and no, who knows how many more Wong got in front of him tonight. What is it? About. Yeah, five before nine. So we got an early tonight. Oh, Bill, Bill left the building early. Oh. You know, Patricia and I were in the chat room the last couple of weeks talking about Snoopy. And I have a tremendous fondness for Snoopy. And what you're hearing here in the background is Charlie Brown Christmas. And special part of my life because I can remember, um, some of you may know I, I am totally blind. And when I lost my sight, or actually when I going through all my eye surgeries, uh, it's about 1973-74, and the music that was coming out at the time was "You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown" from the stage play, and I memorized practically all the songs on that cassette tape. So I've always have had a fondness for Snoopy, Charlie Brown, and the gang. So we're gonna sit back here, relax for a few minutes, and enjoy some of the. Charlie Brown Christmas music here on Yesterday USA.
hey, what timing? I can't do any better than that. You know, drop off Charlie Brown and Snoopy and hello, Ken Golf and Patricia. How are you guys doing this evening? Merry Christmas, Walden. And yep. Ken, Merry Christmas to you, too. And same to you, Miss Pat. Thank you. Well, Ken, what's the day been like today for for you today? I, I knew you had to work. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, it was kind of strange. It was a, a shorter day than usual. Uh, they only had us each work six hours rather than eight. But it was the longest six hours of my whole life, I'll tell you. It was just a, a lot of work because they, uh, not so much because there were a lot of customers, although we did have a lot of customers in uh, Home Depot today, but today uh, our managers decided, let's tear down a bunch of displays and put up some new ones. And so I spent most of the day running up and down a ladder. And uh, let me tell you, when five o'clock rolled around and I could leave, I was very happy. You were the first one to leave the door, practically, huh? Well, not the first one, but uh, I was moving pretty quick, I'll admit that. <laughs> Patricia, what's your day been like? It has been a work day, and it was fine. I got um, more than I expected done and less than I needed to. <laughs> so, um, it was a good day. I really had a good day, and um, how about you? Well, I got three hours of sleep. I don't know, I got off the air at three... Eastern time, and you know who kept me on to another hour off air. <laughs> we'll talk with Brian. <laughs> and, then, and then I got got three hours of sleep and uh, did eight, eight hours of broadcasting. Uh, the house is a total disaster at the moment because um, my brother has surprised the family with well, my dad a six-inch TV screen, and we don't know where to put it. So. Was your dad surprised? Uh, yes, because mom and dad went shopping for ve fruit and vegetables. They drove into the garage, and, you know, a box like that size you can't wrap. So my brother naturally just put Merry Christmas to dad in the garage, blocked the whole garage. So for the last three days, we're trying to rewire the whole house. And the whole, the whole, and I think it's going to go for several more hours tonight. So, I don't know. I don't know. Thinking they were going to put a head of lettuce away, and they went. Yes. <laughs> a big screen TV in the garage. That is so cute. I'm so glad he's pleased. Oh, well, I I say so. Mom had to be a good sport about it. But she said that's the problem with women with three guys. You don't always get a chance to uh, de decide what the decorum is going to look like in the house. What's it? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works, Walton, is fine by me. I think like all of us, we have bigger families, extended families, and what we used to do is the Christmas gifts were open from people from out of town Christmas Eve night, uh -huh. and then we would open the family gift Christmas Day. Uh, now I basically have moved uh, everything to Christmas Day. Um, so we traditionally would have two big meals, um, but my mom uh, has decided to get out of uh, cooking for one meal, so we're going to the Marriott Hotel for uh, Christmas Day brunch. So that saves her one meal. Um, <laughs> good for your mom. Her hay for me. So, um, so whenever uh, 
I roll out of bed this morning. Whenever that's going to be, we have an appointment at the Marriott at 11.30. So that's, that's sort of the game plan. And I imagine uh, we'll either open gift before or after that. That's, that's, that. But sort of the big thing for our family, after you open a present, we don't, it doesn't take a very long, maybe a half hour, and have your big meal, what you do for the rest of the day. And the tradition in my family, we love playing games. So we would get out uh, Trivial Pursuit or card games or whatever, get to sort of wind down the rest of the, rest of the day. That's how we traditionally always spend Christmas. That is a really nice custom. Mm -hmm. Sounds fun. Who wins? Uh, well, there are certain games outlawed in the family because you know who is um, considered to have a sort of a strong advantage in certain categories. I wonder which. <laughs> Well, do we, to, do we get to guess on this? Well, uh, we only got a chance to play Trivial Pursuit Christmas style once. Uh huh. Uh, sports once. Uh huh. Um, There's a message in here, isn't there? Yes. They buy they buy they buy a game once, and if I win, then I, I don't ever get to see it again. Oh well, you know. So much for the competitive spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make everyone feel good right about now. Um, assuming you understand, of course, that I'm not out on the roads where it looks like a Where's Waldo puzzle. Um, it's 66 degrees. It is balmy. We've got barely a breeze, and it's clear. And if I look out, I'll probably be able to see the moon. And I don't have any shoes on. Now, how many other of you listeners can say that? That's disgusting. I know it. <laughs> we had a beautiful day. We were in the 70s today. And hello, nerve-wracking at the moment, because parts of uh, L.A. is supposed to have close to, up to 70 mile per hour wind tonight. Whoa! So, so you know, people are always worried with that kind of wind factor about fires and that kind of thing. So, oh, my gosh. So, that's sort of, we're sort of hunkered down to see what the weather's going to be like through, through the rest of the night. But, uh, I hope everyone is safe. Mm -hmm. That's a rough thing to look at. Yeah. So, Ken, what's the weather like in your neck of the woods? Well, we had a lot of wind yesterday. I was out running errands, and every time I went to get out of the car, the wind would slam the door back into me. So I'm kind of feeling battered and bruised right about now. But uh, And then a week ago, uh, tomorrow? No, a week ago yesterday, we got our first big snowstorm of the year. We got like uh, about 10 inches overnight from Ooh. Saturday night to Sunday. And uh, that that caught everybody by surprise. It's kind of funny. From one year to the next, it seems like, although we get a lot of snow in Michigan every winter, it seems like from one year to the next, everybody forgets how to drive in it. So when they get that first snowstorm of the season, it just throws everybody for a loop. Now, would you say that's true for all the different states you lived in? I mean, when you're in your radio days, you moved to some different cities and different states. Would you find the same habits to be about the same, that people would forget? To drive. When I left Michigan, it was to go to Delaware, and, mm -hmm. and mo the average winter in Delaware is maybe one very light dusting of snow, and the rest of it is like rainy days. Although, while I was down there, <laughs> we had uh, one winter where every weekend during the month of January, we got socked with a blizzard. Mm. And uh, because they so rarely have snow, trying to find a snow shovel in the state of Delaware isn't easy to do. And then, uh, oh boy, when I was up in Vermont and New Hampshire, that was a nightmare because 
it seemed like you only got snow in three foot increments and it was always that wet heavy packing type of snow and that coupled with the fact that you i was up in a mountainous region in fact it seemed like when i lived in vermont everybody that did live in vermont lived at the top of a very steep driveway and that included me so that when you finally got to the top of the driveway and pulled into your parking space you pretty much felt like you were in the space shuttle ready to blast off and you were almost laying on your back. It was just so upright. And uh, I had quite a lot of adventures trying to get down this winding dirt driveway that uh, had uh, just a small ditch on one side that if you got one wheel into it, you were going to get stuck. And on the other side, there's no fence, no wall, no nothing. And if you went over that edge, you were going to go about, about 25 feet into a creek. So uh, anytime it started snowing and I had to go down that driveway, it was always an adventure. And then uh, when we lived out on Cape Cod, so that was kind of like, believe it or not, even though you're right on the uh, water there, it was a lot like Delaware in that the average winter you know, you might got one or two dustings of snow and, and a lot of rain. Although, again, when we were out in Cape, Cape Cod, one of the years we were out there, in January, we got blasted with I don't know how many feet of snow. And that, it, that just shut down everything. I mean, every, everything was closed. Nobody could get anywhere. And, like again, like I say, an adventure. So Those are the kinds of winters that hot chocolate were made for. That's right. And <laughs> exactly <they're>, right. <laughs> Kim, was there one state that really adapted to uh, the Christmas motif? I mean, in other words, I'm wondering for, about Vermont. I mean, we all know that Vermont is legendary for small town stories. You know, they basically have kept the big boys out. Yep. And have do they have sort of adapted the Christmas theme during the Christmas theme? I'm thinking of small town America. Yeah, I, pretty much. That of, of all the states I've lived in, that would probably be. Uh, my favorite one to be in when it came to be Christmas time, because uh, despite the, the snow and, and dealing with that, it was just a lot of trees, a lot of pine trees, and when the snow would fall on that, oh, it was just like living in a in a picture postcard or a Christmas card, and uh, it was just so nice. And uh, there was a fellow that lived down the road that uh, I worked with. Uh, this was back when I worked at a grocery store. And uh, on, as a sideline, he made his own maple syrup. Wow. He would uh, tap the trees and uh, run the sap down through the lines and, and gather that and then take it into this little shed he had out back behind his house. And you'd drive by there and you'd see all this steam billowing out of the back of this shack. And he'd be in there boiling his sap to make the syrup. But it, it, was, it was really a nice place. But probably my... Of all the places I've lived, probably I like that the best. Have you ever been into the Vermont Country Store? I mean, I've seen it online. And in fact, I did go once while we were there. Mm. A whole bunch of us went together, and uh, oh, that's really that neat place. It's like the old-fashioned, uh, as the name implies, a country store with the wooden floors. and It's got everything you can think of from uh, rocking chairs to, uh, well, you name it, they got everything. That's, that's the only place I've ever been where I actually saw a uh, Bay Rum aftershave available for purchase. 
I mean, I, I look at the I look at the store, and I'm almost tempted to get there for Christmas one year. They still have the Lux bars of toilet soap in the boxes, and I thought that'd be a neat thing to get some of those and add some of the radio shows with it. I think that'd be a neat Christmas yep. gift yep. to somebody who really loves old-time radio. Yep. You know, all the all the old-fashioned products that they still have uh, in the store for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. And there's, like you said, there's, there's all kinds of little stores like that mm-hmm. all through that state, and it's uh, it's just a very scenic state. And um, in the spring and the fall, when you don't have to worry about the treacherous roads because of the snow, it's it's just oh, it's just heavenly. I, I really enjoyed living there. Was radio the same in each state the time you were? Uh, making a living at radio. Was it pretty much the same? Yeah, I, uh, uh, toward the end of the time I was in radio was when they were just getting into using um, computers and digital sound editors rather than reel-to-reel tape recorders and uh, uh, just various uh, tape devices to play commercials or, or even music. It was just changing over to the digital era, so to speak, and that's when it was starting to evolve from, you'd have, you know, local people who worked at the local radio station and and were on-air personalities to, it was getting to be more and more satellite where there might be a guy sitting in Houston, Texas, and his show's being heard on any number of stations all across the United States. It was like a, a, it was literally a syndicated radio show. And uh, so it was, you know, it was getting, it was changing that way, but uh, it was pretty much the same. Every place I ever worked, it was a small town station, but uh, that was kind of nice too, because they didn't take themselves quite so seriously and uh, wasn't as much pressure. So yeah, it was pretty much the same everywhere. Patricia, I was wondering, I know you have a career in administration in hospitals. What would you guys do during Christmas time to keep people morale up. There had to be some things you would do, maybe for the patients or the staff. Cause for some people, it's got to be a really hard time being in a hospital during Christmas time. That's a really great question, Walden, and I'm not sure that... I, rec- I don't recall that we ever did anything special in the sense that we planned to have... Um, special goodies brought in for patients or, you know, we, we very much relaxed the rules. Um, they, it was at a time when they were pretty hard-nosed about having visitors at different times during the day. And we just said, my gosh, you know, if you've got family here, my goodness, enjoy them. So it's those little concessions. I say concessions. I mean, they, we never should have had <laughs> restrictions to begin with. But um, those kinds of things were good. With the staff, it was um, it was just an accepted thing that we were in a position of working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, the business just never closed down. You couldn't say, well, okay, tomorrow's Christmas, so we're going to close the doors and not have anybody here. And so it, it was a general acceptance on the part of the staff that Somebody had to work on Christmas. Somebody had to work on New Year's, and they shared the days off. Um, each person, depending on seniority, got picks, and everybody got something. It wasn't that there was anyone 
who had to work all of the holidays and especially over the winter holidays, uh, everybody got a day off or some days off, but um, the ones who were senior got to pick first. I was just wondering about the mental frame of the patient. I mean, you always hear about people going through serious depression, and I guess the nurses are just so busy going from one duty to another, they're not able to give personal attention to, just to say a sharing word or just something, just see if you can get somebody out of that fuck. Yeah, uh, indeed they did. I uh, spent an awful lot of time with the patients, and, um, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do to make a situation any better or any different for them. You just don't have to make it more difficult. And spending time with them and, you know, making sure that they got the attention that they needed and deserved, especially at, at a holiday time. Sure, we did that. Did that. Next loaded question for tonight, Patricia. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yes. Here we go. <laughs> what is your favorite Christmas literature? My Christmas literature? Yep. Book, play, novel, something with a Christmas thing. Um, as, as a writer, when you when you look at something as, with a writer's eye, you could you would say that could not have been put together any better. Oh gosh, which one would you like? Any of them. This is your subject. I mean, I'm just handing it over to you. You played uh, Snoopy and Charlie Brown the music yes. earlier tonight. Yep. I think the entire Charlie Brown series, Christmas included, was uh, the whole series was a masterpiece of writing. Um, it was one of the times when the writing was geared for adults and children at the same time, and it worked on both ends. How can you do that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, how can an author balance that? I mean, it's got to be the most difficult thing in the world to do. I think it probably is a very difficult thing. I've never written anything for a dual audience like that, so I, I truly don't know how they pull it off. But I think part of the success in something like that is running around to the other side of the table and pretending you're a kid and writing as you would if you were a child. Okay. So how – so would you write it – okay, if you were going to tackle a project like that, would you write it as an adult and sit, when you're rereading it to yourself, would you look at it through a kid's eyes? I would do it the other way around. Okay. I would write it as in the mental frame of mind as a child. I would write the story as if I were a child telling a story, and then when I went back to reread it, I would read it as an adult. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. That doesn't necessarily mean anyone else would do it that way. <laughs> I'll bet you, Kim, when you, when you had to work on Christmas Day in the radio business, would you have a couple things you stock away, maybe a maybe a story to tell or something to relate to the audience? What would you have in your reserve that you maybe just pull out for the holiday season? Well, it depended on which station I was working at. It, uh, one that I worked at, it was a, an FM country music station in Port Huron, Michigan, just about uh, an hour north of where I'm sitting right now. They had this special that they would play every year and I think it was called A Country Christmas and it was on real, it was, I don't know how many hours long, it was like 12 or more hours long and each 
hour was one reel of tape, and you'd put that on at the beginning of the hour, and you'd play it, and there would be country stars who would come on and talk about what Christmas was like when they were growing up, and then on would come them singing one of the one or the other of the Christmas songs, and um, we'd have to stop the tape and insert commercials every now and again and do news at the top of the hour. That's what happened at that station, and the reason for it was is um, so that we did. I guess so we didn't have to work quite so hard on you know if you had to work on Christmas Day at least you didn't have to work so hard you didn't have to queue up each record individually and, and announce it or back announce it. And so that's the way it went at, at uh, the country station for here on. I don't think all the others, it was just a matter of um, if you were working on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, you'd play uh, Christmas music. And um, I don't know, I, I never... How about when you were hosting a talk show? Would you keep something in reserve, or would just would that be a hard day to really generate calls? Yeah, it would be kind of a hard day to get calls. Uh, I, <laughs> I remember um, uh, when we were doing the talk show, uh, the first year that we did the talk show, and it was Christmas season, it, we were actually filling in for the people who were doing the talk show, uh, the morning drive talk show at that time from like 6 to 10 a.m., they were on vacation, so we were filling in for them. And I had all sorts of preparation there. We, uh, I took an audio clip from uh, one of the many movie versions of A Christmas Carol where the uh, ghost of uh, Christmas present, I believe, is mocking... Um, Scrooge with, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? And we'd play that, clips like that coming back in from a commercial break or going into a commercial break just to try and, uh, you know, Christmas it up a little. And uh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to No workhouses. That's good Christmas, Ken. <laughs> well, when we played that one, we were coming back from a commercial and um, I, I said, no, uh, I'm trying to think of the politician's name I used. It was somebody that had a reputation for being kind of curmudgingly. And I said, no, that's not so-and-so. That's a clip from, uh, you know, from A Christmas Carol. I can't remember who, who I used. Um, probably good that you don't. Probably just as well. It wouldn't be good to be sued at this point. <laughs> One time was enough. Yeah. I got away with it then, so no use in pushing my luck now, I guess. Your passion for John Denver. You recall the first time you heard a song? Did you ever, uh, ever got to see him performing live? I never got to see him perform live, uh, although he was through the Detroit area many times. Uh, I think I'm, the first time I ever heard him sing was when they played uh, Take Me Home Country Roads on the radio, because I remember buying that 45 single. And then later I bought his first uh, volume of greatest hits. And I remember my, uh, speaking of Christmas time, I think it was in December, about his second TV special was on and my father was watching it and I was just sort of going through the room. I, I wasn't actually sitting down and paying that close attention. But I happened to go through the room at one point where he, he did something kind of silly, which I thought was 
funny, and I remember my dad laughing at it. Was um, about halfway through, halfway through the special after he'd sung several songs, he said, "I know what you're thinking to yourself. You're thinking, sure he can sing, but can he juggle?" And as he said, "Can he juggle?" They threw three balls out to him, and he started juggling, and then they just went off into something else. But um, it was just that kind of almost warped humor that I always have appreciated. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about um, Christmas time on a country station and pulling out uh, a country star and sort of them talk about their uh, memories. The first time I seem to remember that happening for me was in the mid-70s, they did it with Tennessee Uri Ford. Mm -hmm. And then I seem to remember them doing it with John Denver in the early 80s. Yeah, I think he, he was. I think he was living in Colorado at the time or something, and it was a one or two hour block. I I seem to remember they uh, would do that with different people. Well, I know that several of his TV specials were Christmas specials. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he did. I know he did at least one with the Muppets, and maybe more than one that was um, Christmas related. And then there was one that was. Um, I think it was on his property there in Aspen, Colorado. And they had this big, it's like a greenhouse thing, only it was like a big fish bowl turned upside down. And <laughs> that's where the stage was, that's where he was, that's where the small audience was. I think Olivia Newton-John was one of the guest stars on that particular special. And uh, I remember there was a point where, they had, for some reason, they had butterflies flying around in the inside of this great big dome. And he put his finger out, and the butterfly came and landed right on his finger. And I always wondered, how did he do that? And I must have been just pure luck mm -hmm. to have something like that happen. So, um, yeah, uh, I think of uh, him in connection with Christmas a lot. He had at least one Christmas album that I know of. And I think the cut, the song on that album that sticks out most in my mind is just because it's got such a bizarre title is Something along the lines of, please, Daddy, don't get drunk for Christmas. Mm-hmm. I seem to recall that. Yeah. <laughs> What's uh, You're kidding, right? No. Oh, it, it, was, it was like he talked about his memory as a child, and he was hoping his dad would not get drunk for Christmas. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. That yeah. hurts. I seem to remember that. It was on an eight-track tape. Well, I oh. think I got my copy of that. Yeah. That one stings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then speaking of Christmas and uh, us having to listen to uh, Grandma Got Burned Over by a Reindeer there toward oh, the end of the show, I, I could tell a story about that. I, I, I hated that song, and of course... You did? Oh, yes. And people always would call up and want to hear it. Oh, gosh, yeah. So it was a Saturday afternoon, and I was on the air from noon to six. This was at that station in Port Huron, the country station. And they were kept calling for, you know, they'd call for it and you'd play it, and ten minutes later somebody who had just tuned in and hadn't heard it would call up and want to hear it again. <laughs> so, I don't know, kind of, the cheese kind of slipped off my cracker that afternoon because we had two copies of that song. We had the studio version and a live version, believe it or not. And I started going back and forth between the two. I played the studio version, then I played the live version, then I played the studio version, then I played the live version. And this went on about 20 minutes until the phone started ringing. 
And now all the people who had been calling up and wanting to hear it were calling up and saying, please stop playing that song. So uh, I stopped playing it. It's a miracle that uh, the manager of the station didn't hear me and come in and kick the door down and drag me off. But uh, it was just another one of those things I got away with, I guess. He tuned you out when the first time. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't even listening. I remember that right. right. That yeah. happened like mid-year or maybe yeah. in the spring. Now it rolls around to the following December, and it's Christmas time. And we often got um, records that were on labels nobody had ever heard of before, uh, featuring artists nobody had ever heard of before. And in this case, it was a, a little girl, maybe eight years old. I don't even remember what her name was now. And the name of the song was... Please, Mr. Russian, don't shoot Santa down. Mm. I just absolutely refuse to play that song. <laughs> I just said, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And nobody uh, nobody ever called for it because I don't think anybody knew it existed, thank goodness. But uh, mm. I was just like, holy cow, when does this stop, you know? <laughs> it doesn't. You know, I was just having a flashback when you mentioned about the Korean uh, shot down to the Iran uh, hostage situation in 79. Mm -hmm. And if you might recall that there was a major request to the American public to send some form of Christmas item to the hostage at that Christmas time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just sort of forgotten all about that until you mentioned about the Korean thing. Yep. You know? American public can be very good about that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It really can. Well, Patricia, have you adapted to Alvin being in your life now? <laughs> life without chipmunks is a very good thing to look forward to. <laughs> I, I, can, I don't, I don't well, I'm sure the people who are listening haven't heard this yet. Dr. Dale and Walden have teased me forever about the chipmunks. They are simply not my favorite thing to listen to. <laughs> and Dr. Dale made a Christmas card that he sent with Alvin and Theodore and Simon, and they even signed it for me. <laughs> oh, boy. It's a wonderful card. He really did a wonderful job on it, and I'm still laughing about it. But that's where the chipmunks came from. I am not a chipmunk fan. I'm sorry, Alvin. Well, I, I thought about you, Miss Pat, when I was watching the Detroit Thanksgiving Day Parade. Uh, this year, and uh, what I guess what they did was they had an area where anybody that was any kind of a singer or a performer would perform a song, and then they'd get in the parade, and then the parade would go by. So the first thing you saw during the coverage of this parade was several performances of these people standing on a certain spot on a downtown Detroit street, 
And then later you saw the parade go by and all those same people were in their spot on the parade. About the third group of performers that popped up on my TV screen that morning, without any warning, was the Chipmunks. <laughs> Three poor individuals, full-grown adults, judging by the size of them, in head-to-toe chipmunk costumes. Oh, my God. And they were miming and dancing to that... Uh, Thanks. Christmas. We're hula hoop. And it's like, oh my goodness. There's How nothing sacred. How many people sacred. out there know what a hula hoop is? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, truly. I, I was asking, I think it was Dr. Dale I was asking the other night, how many people know what a hula hoop is? I, I, know, I haven't seen one, one in years. <laughs> I know. I know. So, well, then you're going to have sort of dinner, kind of brunchish, like early dinner. Uh, it'll be, it'll be, I would say, uh, brunch slash lunch. So in other words, we won't, traditionally, my mom makes wonderful cinnamon rolls. So when we roll our bed, we look for the cinnamon rolls, and it has to be gooey. Because my brother and I, uh, mom claims it's the fault of the oven. It should not be gooey, but that's the way I've grown up with them for 41 years. So it has to be nice, warm, and gooey. And so that will be sort of our appetizer, uh, get to hold it together until uh, until brunch or slash lunch. And then uh, probably dinner will be just leftover uh, honey baked ham kind of thing. So Like a winner. Yeah. yeah. Dad did a lot of work decorating outside. Mm-hmm. But t- tell me about it. It is, well, I, you know, I think, and I, this probably was true for most of America, um, here where I live, it's definitely a strong Midwest feel about it. Uh, all, um, it's a tight-knit group, and so the neighbors know each other, the neighbors will help each other, and it's basically Christmas has taken on a life of its own in the outdoor display. Mm-hmm. And... It's almost gotten to the point like it was pre-1974. If you would recall, you would see a lot of houses with Christmas lights until we got into our first energy crisis. And I think uh, Nixon or uh, one of the uh, his administration at, to order to save electricity discouraged it for uh, having the Christmas lights on very long. And it was sort of, you had a downward trend for many, many years. But here in California, it's almost back to full force. And... Uh, our house, um, we are the last one because uh, uh, it starts way early November here. And across the street is uh, one of my friends who um, eats one of the head mucky mucks of sea candy. And he he's the one that has the Monday night football party and he served the whole neighborhood. Come all come have free gourmet meals on, on me. And so the whole neighborhood gathers in the garage throughout the week. And Denny, with that spirit, have decorated his house. He would hire cranes, because he's in the construction business, that would come and put people up way up top in the trees to hang all the Christmas lights. Uh, the next-door neighbor would have a full-force Christmas tree on top of the roof. Uh, the next, the, we also have the outdoor speaker system with Christmas music ringing throughout the whole neighborhood at nighttime. 
So I can walk out of my garage to grab a soda pop, and I will be hearing Rudolph or Bing or Nat King Cole all throughout the house. And no chipmunks. No chipmunks, no. Chipmunks. Uh, Walden, is there a sense of competition that is growing out of this? No, I think there's really two driving force. And I think it hasn't gotten to the Fern McGee and Molly's phase where uh, we have blown out the the, uh, the lot. Uh, but many, many people, I live in a cul-de-sac, and I'm on the corner, so many people would take, take a turn and park right here in that cul-de-sac to watch all the decorations. We have, um, my uh, Uncle Walden owned a uh, pharmacy. He was in the family for 100 years, and being in the pharmacy business, you would get some interesting knickknacks. And what he had was a six-foot-tall snowman shoveling snow. And when he and it would be motorized. And so when he, when he passed away in 84, that was the, one of the couple of things I requested for. And so naturally that was uh, put on a, a truck to be brought back to California. And that was our main one of our main entrees here on the uh, in the streets. And it was interesting. Uh, one night, uh, Snowman is so big, he had his own private chain, and we were chained to the uh, to the wall. Uh, one night on uh, Sunday night at nine o'clock, we heard a big crash outside, and Dad came looking outside, and there was Snowman on the floor. And we saw a car speed away, so somebody was going to try to kidnap Snowman without seeing all the... He was locked. Display. We have uh, Snoopy, Charlie Brown, and a Christmas tree together uh, with a light display. And in order to get the proper lighting, we have spotlights to put on it. Mm-hmm. And so, and then naturally, the, uh, Dad and I getting up there with uh, putting up Christmas lights and things. Uh, we try to go with the current trend this year, having multi-colored lights. And we had one strand of flashing lights in the middle, but when Mom drove home, she didn't like the way that looked. So that went down, so the whole house line is nothing but... Uh, Multicolored uh, Christmas light this year. The whole world is a critic. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. I trust your mom's taste, though. I would hope so. You know, she, huh? she, uh, being the only female in the family, she can sometimes feel like she's, you know, at a losing battle, you know, with the three of us living here with, with that, you know, naturally her going through the TV uh, phase of the life and her claiming my bedroom's going to sink every two or three months. You know, with all the milk and crammies of radio shows and everything locked in this one room, you know, she's uh, uh, she's very she's very patient to let me get the uh, keep uh, loading this room down, down and down with, with stuff. That's what very I that's what I want to see. Walden's radio room. <laughs> it's my bedroom, my office, my radio. Room. I have a specially made bed with six major drawers. Uh, was built by a a master carpenter, a German master carpenter, um, built a specially made bed. I have drawers coming off from underneath the bed. Uh, I have wall units laying through the foothead, wall units, uh, two rolls in the closet, 
a whole unit on the back wall and the radio room and the computer on the other wall. Good thing I don't have to see. I don't have claustrophobic, you know. How many uh, old-time radio shows would you say you have in your collection, Walt? I haven't counted in a long time, but if I really had to guess, I would say probably close to 20,000 on cassette and CD. Wow. If I had to guess. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness for the old-time radio clubs. I can be, I can financially afford to build the collection. If you, if I was buying it at uh, due prices, there's no way. Yeah. You know. But uh. Well, when you accumulate for thirty plus years, that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, speaking of, of of accessing those old shows, that website address you sent me, Miss Pat, with the with the old-time radio archives. Oh, yes. That's like dying and going to heaven right it's, there. I mean, know. it's like being in a library in your own bedroom. That's right. That's right. It's just, <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, if I could just think of some way to never have to go to work again, I could just sit in here for the rest of my life and download all these programs. Oh, gosh. You can do it anyway, Kat. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that. So, um, Walden, in your area... Yes. You have a lot of people who have moved from snow-type country. Uh-huh. I, I, I live probably in the most conservative country, conservative part in the country. Uh-huh. Boyne County, consider that. Um, and it's a very strong Midwestern field to my little community. Uh-huh. A lot of people from Iowa and Nebraska. Um... Does it take them a long time to get, I can, this is something that people ask me all the time, mm-hmm. I've been in Florida for so long, I have to sit and think about the answer. Mm-hmm. Does it take them a while to acclimate to the Christmas season when they're not feeling Christmas weather? They're not cold? There's it, it takes a year. No ice? How long? It takes about one year. One year? Yeah, because, because mom, uh, when she first moved out here, could not understand why everybody was cold. Well, it's true. You know, after the second year rolled around, she could, couldn't believe how cold California was, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Go ahead. if you talk about the weather-wise, it takes weeks a year. Um, in terms of Christmas. Christmas? Yeah. Um, I think it's still a pretty good, it's still a strong field. I mean, we have... We we have we get we do a major neighborhood exchanges. In other words, neighbors bake all over, and I can't tell you how often we uh, get, get goodies dropped off by, by the neighbors. And my mom spends one whole day nothing but baking for the neighborhood. You know, we have that feeling of Christmas around here. It's pretty big. Yeah. You know, and there's something about weather that triggers emotional responses, mm-hmm. and I think you probably can relate to this. I know that we've talked a little bit about this at different times, Mm -hmm. that when the weather changes, the life changes. Yeah. Well, like when you you go days and weeks without sunlight, Mm -hmm. um, that definitely has an effect uh, on the average person. It does it on me anyway. I know (laughs) When you're accustomed to having uh, limited sunlight, the, the, the amount of light during the day is less. 
again, people say the days are shorter. I always get 24 hours in them, no matter what, but um, they've got less light in them. And there's an oppressiveness from having to lock up the doors and lock up the windows and stay inside, and you get the dry heat. And you go to a place like Florida or California, and everybody's outside. They're all active. It's no winter snow. There's no preparation for winter. Um, there aren't any hurricanes in winter. And the mindset is, it, it takes a while for the mindset to get into a Christmas or a holiday swing. I mean, even Valentine's Day and Halloween and all of the holidays that typically fall in cooler or colder weather. It takes people a while to get into the swing and say, okay, it's Christmas next week, let's get going. Yeah. Well, I always have said that I would prefer to have like a light dusting of snow that would last from Thanksgiving Day until New Year's Day. And then after that, it can go away as far as dirt. <laughs> and warm right up. I'll be quite happy with that. <laughs> I'm happy with Just that. Just enough for atmosphere for the holidays and then... Atmosphere, that's the word I was searching yeah. for. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that Christmas card look. Right. <laughs> yeah. I know Brian, well, he'll complain to me about everything, but he can't stand Seattle in the winter because he doesn't see the sun. That's why he will take a trip to California or to Hawaii during the time of the year. That way, he gets to go visit the sun once in a while for a week or so. Yeah. Well, yeah. Walden, you know how good I am at geography, and, yeah. and you know, I'm zero. I'm yeah. a cipher. I did not know that Seattle got hit any harder than other parts of the country in terms of winter feeling and winter skies and things like that. Yeah, it gets really, really, if Brian says you don't see the sun for five months, <laughs> and he gets, and he can't, we know how type A Mr. Hager is, <laughs> and, and it drives him crazy. That's why he planned, he planned a couple of trips just to get out of uh, Seattle in the winter, just to go visit the sun. I remember Bill Cosby had a great uh, thing on one of his albums about uh, Seattle and how it always rained there and people were used to that. In fact, they were so used to it that if the sun came out, they would walk around going, what did we do wrong? What, what, is, what, what is that stuff? Where is our rain at? <laughs> yeah, Brian was telling me that in the summer, I didn't realize, uh, Seattle, the sun will stay up until 10 o'clock. Oh, wow. Uh, that's pretty good. I mean, here in California, we're lucky until about 6.30, you know. Yeah. And that, here we're talking, what, maybe 1,500 miles south. So I get that, that big of a difference just by the, uh, you know, the geography, I guess. Does he get winter, but he is accustomed to being bathed in summer? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the change is very dramatic for him. Yeah. Hmm. Well, now, Patricia, now, how long does it stay sunlight in Florida? Do you guys get it until 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock pretty much year-round? Or is it, does it, is it like California gets till maybe 4.30 to 6.30? What's the, uh, the sun factor in Florida? Typical East Coast. Mm -hmm. It isn't any different. It gets dark before it's supposed to in the, in the wintertime. I mean, it's the same as it was in the Northeast. It's just not cold. Most of the time, it's not cold. Mm. Uh, but the sun will be gone. I don't really pay too much attention to it. I guess between 6 and 6.30, we're, we're pretty much saying goodbye to the sunshine. And um, in the summertime, it comes up early. It's, it's, I, think it's, I think we have more daylight hours in the summertime than in other 
places along the East Coast. Did you? How long did it take you to make the adjustment uh, from New York to Florida the first Christmas or so? About 27 minutes. <laughs> that long, huh? Yeah, it was, it was really a bad transition. I didn't have any difficulty at all. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just kind of slip into the holiday season, and I guess it doesn't make any difference where I am. Uh, but it, it was a little odd to feel this kind of weather knowing what I had left behind just the year before, you know, nose high up to the, our earlobes in snow and not have to face that kind of stuff down here. The, the odd thing, the really odd thing, if there is one that happened to me, is putting up Christmas decorations outside for Christmas in the sunlight in 80 degrees. <laughs> and waking up a sweat doing what, it. Why are we doing this, you know? <laughs> Is there a reminder on the calendar somewhere? But it was odd. That was the odd thing, was putting up decorations outside. Now, the inside was fine. Christmas shopping was fine. The spirit was fine. But putting up decorations on the house outside was really an odd feeling. What about the big item that was bought at Home Depot this year, Ken? Anything that really went off the shelf? Oh, well, I would imagine. I don't work in that department, but I would imagine the tools was a big thing because uh, I know that uh, over there in hardware where they have the tools, there was a huge display of every conceivable tool you could think of from drills to staple guns to hammers and all that kind of thing. And uh, I remember uh, I worked the opening shift the day after Thanksgiving, so you can imagine what that was like. Oh, yeah, that's why you told me you got there at 6 in the morning, if I recall, right? Uh, actually, I was there at 5 in the morning. We opened at 6. And there were people standing outside waiting to come in at six o'clock, if you can believe that. Oh. And uh, they, we had certain medical evaluations that they were for people like that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Gee, that they should. That is... I, uh, well, again today, that day, and again today, I was as people were running in at five o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas Eve to start their Christmas shopping. I would just look at them and shake my head and think, "Wow." <laughs> That's what I call being a, a procrastinator, you know. My kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> How much does a snow shovel and snowblower cost? Considering I never know what the th animal looks like out here in California. I mean, are those are those pretty, you know, mid-level items? Yeah. Snow shovel probably. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe about five dollars. They have several different kinds. Some that are a little sturdier than others, and then the snowblowers. Um, you know what? I've never even really noticed what the price is on the snowblowers, but again, they've got several different levels. Uh, some that can do more than others, or throw a greater amount of snow than others, and uh, that was uh, that came into play kind of uh, last weekend when we had that snowstorm I was telling you about because. <laughs> It seems like even though these people live in Michigan, they're never prepared for anything. You know, they'll wait until the snow hits, and then they'll come in to get the snow shovels. And, of course, that means we're out of snow shovels in a matter of two hours and snow blowers not long after that. And then some more people will come in and say, yeah, where's the snow blowers or the snow shovels? We're all out. You're going to be kidding me. It's like, well... I'm afraid everybody in his aunt Fanny's already been in here to get the snow shovels and the snow blowers. So you should have gotten in here sooner. But uh, they never seem to. You know, they, they wait until the, the blizzard before they come in to get the snow removal equipment. They wait until the flooding to come in and get the sump pumps. So 
my kind of person. <laughs> no offense hurrying into anything. Of course not. Listen, if it's not snowing, why do I need a snowshoe? Right. I mean, silly you, of course you're supposed to have some snow. I mean, if it doesn't snow, I'll be stuck with a snow shovel I can't use. Exactly. It's like my hurricane closet. Right. I kept, after that one year or two years in a row, we got hit so hard with the hurricanes. I mean, it was just terrible. And I got caught without any supplies. Zero. Not a... I said, okay, so for two years in a row, I would start months ahead of time. They buy two for the price of one, I would get two and put one in the closet. Yeah. I had the healthiest hurricane stash in the state, and we haven't seen another storm, which is fine. <laughs> fine. It's just that I spend the rest of the year eating my closet. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine, though, because I can, I can deal with a full closet a lot easier than I can deal with a hurricane coming through, but preparedness. See, it doesn't pay to be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> Ken, what, what's the nicest thing a customer done uh, when he walks in the store and you have to interact? What, there's something that really sort of popped up that somebody, hey, this person's a really nice person. He sort of, he, he, he was very considerate to me trying to serve him. Well, if, if there's a story, anything that would pop up to your mind? Well, they uh, often, uh, because of where the electrical department, which is, of course, the department I work in, is situated in the store. I mean, when you walk in the front door, you're almost immediately in our department. It's almost like another service desk in that a lot of people will stop us in the service department to ask us where something in another department is. And uh, not so much outside of the electrical department, but if they ask about something that we have in our department, can pretty much tell them, okay, you want to go down that aisle there, it's about the fourth bay down on the right-hand side, and it's on a shelf that's about belt high. And when I give them that much detail, they usually stop and look at me and go, wow, you really know your stuff, don't you? <laughs> it's like, well, I answer these questions a lot all day long, <laughs> so you, you know, pretty quickly you get to know where, precisely where everything's at. So it's pretty much, you know, they, they seem to be pretty impressed with the fact that I can narrow it down to the, the inch where it's at. What's a nice thing that a, a customer can do for a salesperson? I mean, it, to make sure he knows what he's asking for, to make your job easier. If, if you had to give a, a handbook, what would, what would you say would be the best thing for somebody who has no idea what they're looking for to, to ask? Oh, golly. Um, well, in our case, uh, we, we do have two employees, one full-time and one part-time, who are, to some degree or another, licensed electricians. And so, um, if it's a complicated question, because I have to admit I don't know all that much about electricity, but I have a healthy respect for it, so... <laughs> I'll tell him, uh, you know, uh, well, we have our electrician here, and I'll guide him over to you, and he, and he can give you all the information you need and probably some more besides. Um, uh, just, uh, I don't know, uh, if, if they can be uh, patient, uh, a lot of times we'll get, like, five people will show up and all want to be waited on at the same time, and as good as I might be, I haven't figured out how to divide myself into five people yet, so... <laughs> Somebody has to do some waiting, and if if they're willing to, to be a little patient, I'll get to them as quickly as possible. So I guess uh, patience, just general garden variety patience would 
would be what I'd recommend. Patricia, their favorite Christmas decoration you ever see, that you saw either up in New York or down in Florida that really caught your eye? All of them. <laughs> okay. That's All it. of them. <laughs> we have a couple of houses here. In Florida, uh, we have, I think, bigger displays than what I was accustomed to in New York, mostly because people can do it. You can get out there without freezing your tushes <laughs> and uh, keep putting up decorations. We do have a couple of houses here. Uh, there was one I visited several years ago on the not very far north of here, maybe 10 miles from here. And it was a relatively small road. It was in a residential community, but it kind of looped around. It was not a dead end, but it made a complete loop. And so there was really no destination except a circle. And at Christmas time, they had cops there because there was such a backup of cars trying to go past this house. And these people started in the middle of June to decorate. I don't mean plan. They were out there putting lights up in June. I don't know why they bothered to take them down. But they were magnificent. They had moving scenes and trains and sounds and songs and interactive features for kids. It was just, it, it was a labor, and they loved it. It was just something that they loved to do. A and regular Busby Berkeley production, huh? <laughs> I guess, I guess. It, it was so, it's a warm fuzzy to know that there are people who get such a buzz out of making other people happy. Mm-hmm. It was good. It was good. So that was my good one. How about you, Ken? Anything that sticks out in your mind of all your travels? Uh, well, of course, the, the the big thing now seems to be those uh, inflatable clear plastic globes that's got something going on inside of it. It might be a snowman with snow whirling around it and stuff like that. But I think I just prefer the old-fashioned lights, you know, along the peak of the roof of a house. And uh, not even multicolored I like blue lights, and that might have something to do with the fact that when I was growing up, uh, before uh, we got into artificial trees and, and, and bought new lights, the, the earliest Christmas trees I can remember in our home when I was growing up, it was, all the lights were blue, and they were those big bulbs that used to get hot to the touch, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think it's some probably nostalgic for that, so I like the, a nice string of blue lights. To me, that's as good as it gets. Yeah, I think blue is my favorite color, so I, I, could, I could vouch for that. Ken, your favorite all-time Christmas radio show? If you had to pick out three or five, doesn't have to be that number. Give me, give me a rundown. Well, I've always liked uh, any one of the uh, Lionel Barrymore as Scrooge A Christmas Carol things, which they used to do every year for years on end. And I still do like that one a lot, um, but just in the last couple of months, I've gotten uh, into Jack Benny, and I've been enjoying listening to his annual Christmas program because it usually involved the whole gang going down to the department store to buy gifts for each other and, and whoever else. And invariably, they'd get into that routine where Jack would drive the clerk behind the counter crazy because he'd be buying shoelaces for somebody, but he couldn't decide whether to get the shoelaces with the plastic tips or the steel tips, and he'd go back and forth and make the guy wrap them and unwrap them, and 
then there was, I just heard of the other day, uh, I'm not sure what year it was from, 1950-something, where the Christmas episode starts off with the clerk being at the psychiat- at his psychiatrist talking about how he was dreading that man coming in and driving him <laughs> crazy with the shoelaces again. So <laughs> that's become one of my favorites as well. Yeah, and he asked to get transferred to Palm Springs because he figured nobody in the, would do that to him in the date department. Right, right. Yeah, Patricia. Any any particular episode? I know was some of your favorite series, of course. But if you had to pick it, something to do with Fibber McGee. Just oh, one. Fibber McGee. <laughs> oh, just love Fibber McGee. Yes, I. The best one for me is the one that has Fibber out in the front yard painting a Christmas tree white because he refused to spend that amount of money mm-hmm. to have somebody just sprinkle a little bit of white on the tree and it would cost him X number of dollars more. So he was going to do it himself. And he wound up in the yard and he did it himself. And he did a wonderful job, except it wasn't the tree that he bought. It was the one that was planted in the front yard that he wound up putting the paint on. And Teeny was the one who discovered it. So that's my favorite. I I do like that show. Any others? Well, let me see. Um, yeah, the one where he fixes the toys for the kids mm-hmm. and doesn't fix the toys for the kids. Um, it's, it's a wonderful story. You played that not very long ago. Yeah. And it it's a it's a nice story because um, there's a a fun twist to the end of it. In any other story, the person who played Fibber or a Fibber-like character would wind up looking like adult, which he never does in any of these shows. And it's because of Molly, and one night maybe we could talk a little bit about that, but it was a gift from both of them. They wound up giving each other a gift by not giving each other a gift because Fibber spent the money he had for Molly's present to buy the toys for the kids, And he only discovered later that he had enough money to do that because Molly had put in her money that she was going to buy Fibber a gift with. And between the two of them, they gave each other the best gift in the whole world. Why does old-time radio Christmas shows work so well? Why? Ken, what do you think? I I just think because... um, uh, they were just always so well written, and the acting was um, always very well done. And uh, you know, it's uh, theater of the mind. You know, you can uh, uh, imagine everyone to look however you want them to look, and uh, a lot. You know, you put a lot of your imagination into it, and it's just I don't know, just something about the, those shows really captures the Christmas spirit, you know, I suppose because it's uh, audio and you work in the Christmas music and, and stuff like that. But um, I think a good portion of it has to do with the times in which those shows were made. Right. And they were either during World War Two or right after World War Two, and almost everyone, well, everyone who was listening had their arms around the Depression. And there was such a spirit in the country and among neighbors that it translated into radio shows. You you felt this warmth, this goodness, this uh, willingness to do without and to do for other people. And it was a natural at that time for people to live that way and be that way 
for us, it's like a visit to another planet sometimes. Mm -hmm. And there's something very touching about people who have that mindset, who are, we keep going back to Midwestern, the, the Midwest work and, and hometown ethics that came along with people. And I think that's, that's a good deal of it. It was the times and the willingness of people to reach out and touch other people. Why the World War II was a boom in the creative arts? In other words, I'm thinking in terms of radio show. I think Fibber McGee and Molly grew up during World War II. Uh -huh. The writing, the Jack Benny show, the tail end of the war, the, the Benny writer came into vogue. Uh -huh. uh, Hope, uh, a lot of comedy shows have shaken the revolved route and became situation comedy. I mean, why during wartime when we had such a bonanza of good writing? I think part of it was a function of the times, Walden, that the the entertainment medium was radio. What else did right. people have? Yeah, they it, came was the, home, it was the major was, medium of the day, yeah. Exactly, and it was their outlet. It was their only escape from what was just a dreadful, dreadful time for people to deal with, with um, their their sons and, and brothers and grandchildren fighting the war, some of them not coming home, people not knowing what's going to happen next. And the, the central element that kind of glued the family together. You see people gathering around the radio. It was it was the focal point in the evenings of families. And by demand, I think, it, it was a, a process of demand. The people expected something good, and the audience was there, and I think writers just rose to the occasion. But of course, during the war years, that's when FDR was doing the fireside chats, and oh, great point! And, and yeah. that would that 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 too would bring you know, the world at large right into people's homes. There was, as Patricia was saying, it's only at that time you only had like radio and you know the movies, specifically the newsreels, and and of course you had to go to the theater to see those. But with the radio, you know, at the end of the day, you just turn it on, sit back and relax, and the whole world would parade before your very years mm -hmm. this week. And uh, something like uh, Jack Benny or uh, Bob Hope or Fibber McGee and Molly or the Great Gildersleeve, what bigger group of escape mechanisms could you have? I mean, really, you could get lost in those shows, even mm. if it were for just half an hour. It was a mini vacation for people who were facing these kinds of things day after day after day. It was right. just a way of life for them to live in a crisis. Well, also, I'm just amazed, me because I'm just a big radio nut anyway, is how much quality was mm -hmm. done that 60 years later, it holds up great. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, Walden, you and I have talked about that yeah. endurance. It, it is simply an enduring medium. It will never get old. It will never go away. There was some material that was topical. And I get frustrated when I hear people fussing about it. Well, they, you know, I don't like to listen to this because I don't know what it was at the time. And everything they're talking about is newspapers. Well, my gosh, you know, I mean, how many times can you get a history lesson wrapped up in entertainment like this? Phew! So, um, it re they really are timeless, absolutely timeless. The humor is wonderful. It's as good today as it was then. And I've just recently been noticing uh, how much after radio sort of phased out and it became TV, 
that a lot of these same people not only would turn their radio show into a TV show where they'd be on the TV, but also the, a lot of the writers who used to write for radio began writing for TV. I noticed the other day in the uh, credits to, uh, I think it was the Leave it to Beaver show, that uh, two of the writers were guys that had written for Amos and Andy. Correct, yeah. The, uh, the creators of, uh, of Little Beaver were the two main staff of the heydays of Amos and Andy of the, 30, right. of, the, of, the of the 40s and 50s. So that's so yeah. that same quality, at least with the with the television shows of the 50s and some of the maybe the early 60s, that same quality would transfer into the into the television era after radio was no more. And again, you had those same talented people applying their craft and uh, and doing a great job of it. Did you, Kim, were you raised on talk radio? Because we I've noticed lately a lot of us who were not born of the old time generation. Besides having a love for old-time radio, also had uh, an interest in talk radio. Would would that ever a uh, part of you growing up, or was it? Yeah, I, uh, when I was uh, a teenager and uh, nearing uh, high school graduation, and then after graduation, I had spent some time listening to you know uh, top forty radio stations, but also uh, found myself listening to talk radio a lot. Uh, in fact. Uh, during some of the summers when I was still in high school and I could stay up half the night, I would be, I might have the lights off and laying in bed, but I'd be up half the night listening to talk radio and, uh, you know, whether it was um, of a political nature or there used to be a, a, a program, I don't know if it's still around or not anymore, I haven't heard it in years. They called themselves the Nightcaps. Yes. And I think it was out of... Uh, St. Louis or Utah. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, I used. I was picking it up on KMOX out of St. Louis, mm-hmm. and I mean they had conventions. It was just like over the fence neighbors chatting kind of thing. They never got real controversial with anything, and I I used to love listening to that, and uh, so yeah, I uh, I think uh, my interest in talk radio was at least equal to. To music radio, and uh, even to this day, I probably listen to more talk than, than the music uh, side of things. Yeah, I know Patricia and I sure have wondered that the same, in a way, it's talk radio and old-time radio, in a way, go hand-in-hand, because I guess it's such a verbal medium that you have to be interactive with. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to use your imagination about what people look like in the studio. <laughs> but it's... it's um. I don't know. I, I hadn't really thought about this before, but it seems that when you don't have other things distracting you and you can concentrate on what you're hearing, that it makes a difference. Yeah. That happens in the comedies and it happens in talk radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even like the Arthur Godfrey show, uh, that was in the old time radio uh, era, but that was. Could probably can be considered like a, at least part partly a talk show. Yeah. You know, he he would interact with uh, whoever he had on the show there with him or with the audience, and that was probably like the forerunner to a, a lot of today's talk shows. Indeed, it was. Well, Robin, is Brian going to join you tonight? Are you going to run shows? What is your schedule? Well, I was about ready to let you guys go, uh, whatever you want to do. Brian's supposed to join me in about forty-five minutes or so. 
Okay. So what I have planned, the first show out of the box, I knew Patricia was going to be with me here. It's the course for me and Molly, where he's decorating the Christmas tree. Are you serious? Yes, that is our first show. Oh, thank you. What a wonderful treat that is. Yeah, so that's what I have lined up for us tonight. So that will be our first show, and then we'll get to play radio shows, and um, when our Brian gets home from uh, uh, unloading the Christmas gift to the nieces and nephews, uh, he'll be with me. Would you agree with me, Walden, that if they were to do a remake of Fibber McGee and Molly, that Miss Patricia would probably make a great Molly? A <laughs> good teeny. Yes. <laughs> all right, let's do an audition. Uh, Patricia, give us your best teeny. I know it. There you go. Any of those scenes between the character Teeny and Fibber are just, you can't help but smile. Well, Brian, Brian and I, well, this is why Brian took me away for another hour. We realized that Teeny didn't always go by Teeny. Oh. So when the character first started, it was little girl, mm-hmm. sis, mm-hmm. Yeah. Teeny, mm-hmm. and then the Christmas show came up with a new one called Elizabeth. That's right. So we were just noticing that the character Teeny would go by different names. And so we were just sort of kicking that around as one of our many topics at 4 in the morning's East Coast time. Now what else are you going to do, right? So Teeny had a solid name. Molly used to call her Little Girl. Mm-hmm. Hello, Little Girl. Yep. Oh. So Cute. So Teeny will join us here on Yesterday USA. That is so much fun. Thank you for doing that. All righty. It was my favorite. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas to both of you. Okay. Merry Christmas, Walden. Merry Christmas, Ken. Same to you, Miss Pat. And have a peaceful day tomorrow, both of you. Oh. Sounds good. Well, we, we will close this off with the Hollywood Choir, and we'll get ready for Fairy McGee and Molly. All Thank right. you, Walden. Good night, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks with us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And there they go. Now, we'll get ready with the Hollywood Choir here on Yesterday USA.
don't know why Patricia is able to read my instincts right there, because I was about ready to announce we're about ready to get into uh, radio shows. And yeah. Alright, we're going to send this out to Patricia. Fibber McGee and Molly, one of my top two Fibber shows, from December 20th, 1949. Merry Christmas, everybody, here on Yesterday USA. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. This is the time of year when most of us get our greatest pleasure and comfort out of our home. With winter coming on, it's especially pleasant to sit in a warm, snug, attractive room and read or talk or listen to the radio. Now you can add to your enjoyment of these evenings if you make your rooms more beautiful with Johnson's Paste Wax. Your living room, for example. It's a much more attractive place to be if the floors have a polished wax luster. And the beauty that you give your floors with Johnson's Paste Wax is a beauty that lasts. Partly because Johnson's Wax forms a hard coat over your floors, a coat that protects the wood from dirt and scratches. And partly because a waxed and polished floor is so easy to clean. Dirt comes off that smooth surface with a few strokes of a dust cloth. Next time you go to the store, ask for Johnson's Paste Wax. Let it make your house a warmer-looking, richer-looking, pleasanter place to live in during the winter months ahead. Mark Twain once said, everybody talks about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. By the same token, a lot of people talk about early Christmas shopping. But how many do anything about it? Well, we can name two. Fibber McGee and Molly. McGee, do you remember the vow you made about this time last year? Huh? Oh, you mean about putting the lawnmower away for the winter to keep it from getting snowed on? Well, don't think I forgot it, kiddo. I remembered it yesterday, but when I went out to put it away, it was under three foot of snow and I couldn't find it. But next year, I'm going to put a red flag on the handle so no matter how deep the snow gets... No, on the no, way, no, that's oh, not what I meant. What? No, 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 I pulled out the wrong one, I think. Hold on, folks, give me a second here. I have to get out the right Christmas show that I promised Patricia. Okay, give me a second. Let me... I know where it's at, so give me one second. Okay, here we go. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's new water repellent glow coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Dick Legrand, Cliff Arquette, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Bill Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra, including Ken Darby's own musical setting for The Night Before Christmas. Johnson's new glow coat is now water repellent. 
That's the biggest development in floor care in the past 15 years. At last, there's a self-polishing floor wax that does not show ugly streaks or dull drab spots when you wipe up still things. Water, spilled ice cubes or drinks, packed in mud or snow, wipe right off that hard glow coat surface. And you don't wipe off the wax when you wipe up the water. Johnson's glow coat stays on, stays bright, even after repeated damp mopping. In fact, water repellent glow coat now lasts up to four times longer. No need for frequent repolishing. More long-lasting floor protection for your money. It's the most economical self-polishing floor wax you can buy. Tomorrow, shine up your floors for the holidays. Protect them from the wear and tear they're bound to get. Save yourself work. Save yourself money. Get Johnson's new water-repellent glow coat in the regular glow coat package. No change at all in the container. Ah, but what a wonderful difference inside. There has always been a lot of rivalry in Wistful Vista over whose house is the most beautifully decorated for Christmas. Mr. McGee of number 79 has never placed in the first 25. Until maybe this year. Because here in the hardware store, laying in a supply of outdoor lighting equipment, we find that once-a-year exterior decorator and his wife, Fibber McGee and Molly. That'd be all, Mr. McGee. The reason I ask is, on account I think you've got everything we had in the store. Ah, <laughs> uh, let me see. Check the list over with me, bud. 900 foot of wire. Wire. Three pairs of pliers. Better make that five pairs. I keep losing them in the shrubbery. Why don't you get a dozen pairs, McGee? We could give the extra ones as Christmas presents. With a little card that says we'd like to have done something bigger for you, but we feel the pinch this year. <laughs> no, no, let's be practical, Molly. 300 assorted light bulbs. 300 light bulbs. Yeah, that's it. Sure 300 would be enough, dearie? That'll hardly light up the country as far as Kansas City. <laughs> no, no kidding, Molly. You gotta allow for some of them burning out. I've had experience with these things. I'll bet you two bucks, kiddo, that the first person that comes to the door says, you got the prettiest decorated house on the whole block. Well, make it six dollars. I want that one across the board. Okay. <laughs> six bucks it is. Okay, bud, we got the bulbs, the wire, five rolls of friction tape, four bags of nails, two cartons of holly, and five dozen assorted sockets. Sockets. Check? Well, uh, we'd prefer cash. 